0: Hi, my name is Shiloh, and I beat the often Path by never quitting when it was unbelievably difficult, and I'm so excited to tell you why.
1: Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining me today is Shiloh Johnson, the founder and CEO of Compliant, a digital tax assistant platform that's raised over $10 million in funding today. I know what you're thinking. What is more fun than talking about taxes? Woo-hoo! Well, Shiloh's personal journey is incredible. Let me tell you what you'll soon find out. I'll let her tell you in her own words. But the upshot is this. In her time as a CPA, she noticed that many, most small business owners were making the same mistakes over and over again. So she soon realized that there was a giant gap in the market, and she got to work building a platform to help business owners such as myself be a little less stupid. All right, all right. The stupidity part maybe just applies to me, but everyone could use a little help. This episode is great for anybody who's thinking about starting a business or bringing an idea into the world. And let me tell you, Shiloh Johnson is truly an inspiration. So here she is, the founder of Compliant. All right, welcome to the show, Shiloh. We've got somebody else in the greater L.A. area, although not right now. <laughs> right now you're joining us from Austin, Texas. Uh, but explain a little bit about what that means. So tell us about yeah. what were the struggles were and how you ended up where you are and where <laughs> are you? <laughs>
0: Oh, I don't know. I'm just tackling tech like a beast. Uh, so, what has been impossibly hard is everything. So, for starters, I was a teen mom. So, I had my first kid when I was 17. So, imagine being 22 with three children, putting yourself I through can't. college. Nope. And working full time and not nope. having any help. Yep, did nope. it for four years. Then I went and got Jeez. a graduate degree in taxation. And then I jumped into corporate tax and did it for 15 years, sent all my kids to college, and then decided to start a tech company. And that's Unbelievable. how I did it. But you
1: can't, you can't do that because you have to be young to start a tech company.
0: Oh, so. what? I am young. Do you see this? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, those are the rules,
1: know, Shiloh. Yeah. There's rules yeah. to this game.
0: You must be You can't break the formula.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You've got to be wearing a hoodie. You can't dress too nice because then they'll know you're not smart. There's rules to <laughs> this.
0: you vests only. Yeah, Um. Right. Yeah, I have never believed in rules. My life is an example of that. I think it. those mm-hmm. are just rules are more like guidelines. And you find ways mm-hmm. to make things fit into what you need them to be. You can't exclude yourself from the possibility of trying something because you don't fit. Like, of course I don't fit. I've never fit. And mm-hmm. I'm still doing it. Come mm-hmm. join me.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and you've obviously done some incredible things. The intro will have will have explained that. But I have a question. So some people seem to be interested. You, you mentioned you got a degree in tax. Are, have I you always been interested in the numbers? Some people love this. Some people hate it. Some people can't stand it. I'm probably in the hate it and can't stand it camp. How did you find yourself there?
0: Uh, On accident, truthfully. uh, I actually was going to be a lawyer. Uh, I was a poli-sci major. I was going to go to law school. And then I had a boss, a woman by the name of Anita Duan. She was like the VP of tax for this large um, retail company. And she was my boss. And she said, change your major, and go into tax. And I was like, why would I do that? That's horrible. And she said, because there aren't very many of you, us as in minority women, and you could make a lot of waves. And obviously there are diversity quotas that have to be filled, and you're very intelligent, and you're good at this. So do it, because you will always have a job, and you will never have to worry about working. And I was like... Okay, I'm pragmatic. I'll try it. I just took an accounting class. I wasn't going to change. I just took an accounting class. I loved it. I felt like I knew like the secret codes to like figure life out because nobody knows accounting. And so as I learned and it was relatively easy, I was like, yeah, superpower (laughs) of doing this.
1: So she was right. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Was was the advice
1: spot on? Totally.
0: Spot on. A hundred percent. Not too far after that. We went into the first recession. Not only did I not have to worry about my job, I ended up getting a promotion and a raise. <laughs> and everybody left and right it was like losing their homes, losing their jobs. It was crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So
1: the, the superpower, that is a great insight because it, it sheds light on the fact that so few people know how this stuff works. Just in general. And certainly, I mean, looking at your bio, you focus obviously on small business owners, of which I am one. So we'll get into that in just a second. But people who aren't small business owners or business owners or entrepreneurs at all, they generally know pretty much nothing about this stuff. Because for the average person, their tax time routine is just, I get a piece of paper from here, from my single employer. I punch the numbers over here into TurboTax, and that's the end of that. No other calculations needed. Obviously, if you're a business owner, tax time becomes a very different thing, right?
0: Very different. Yeah. So, why for do you sure think so I... few
1: people know about this, and why is it a superpower?
0: Oh gosh, I think our education system is terrible. That's probably why so few yeah. people know about it. I have so many thoughts about education reform. Goodness, but for sure. um, I, I certainly. Hate the fact. So tax code in general is written for small businesses. It's written in to promote and support small businesses. It's also written. The most code is written in favor of small business, but small business understands it the least. And I was just like, oh, I could do something here. This is a gap I could fill it, and so hence how the product came to be. But I I certainly feel like there are a lot of areas in general that we just we don't have practical knowledge around. We have practical knowledge around like. Pi, like, I don't know, Pythagorean theorem or whatever you learn in math class <laughs> that you will never need again. But there is a practical knowledge around just like, OK, I'm going to start an influencer consulting company. What do I do with my tax? And everyone's just like, I don't know. You keep it. I don't know. You do something in the savings account. Who knows? Everyone's like Googling blogs, trying to figure out. It's just the education system is a mess, I tell you.
1: Well, I'll tell you what you do. You get through a year, you know, you just barely cover your bills and then it comes to April <laughs> and then you have a giant number that you owe and then you panic like about sweat. why didn't I save any of that money?
0: <laughs> that sounds exactly like every small business owner yeah. I've ever And then met. you get a
1: notification that you were supposed to renew your business tax license and you haven't yep. and it's two years past due yeah. and then you get a bill and then that bill says yeah. you owe just $2,000. No big deal. <laughs> Just a light penalty, and then you panic some more. I mean, that's been my experience.
0: You and everyone else. Certainly the problem we set out to solve, we just felt like there were so many businesses. I ran into a founder. She runs, I mean, a small restaurant franchise. I mean, she's like a part of a franchise. You would think they would have given her lots of information around operations management, and that just didn't exist. She was, like, charging sales tax and keeping it, and I was just like, oh, you want to go to jail? (laughs) Like, that's not how this works. (laughs) So uh, if you're listening and this is you, you're not alone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, like you said, education reform. I mean, it always shocked me that we just didn't learn. It's no secret that we just don't learn, certainly in America, any of the basics or the fundamentals of what becomes the most important thing in your entire life. You don't learn basic accounting. You don't learn how these tax systems work. You're just on your own and... I mean, I think the idea is, if you're very cynical, that it's just funneling you into getting a job and not really encouraging you to be entrepreneurial. Because when you do that, you have to learn everything on your own. You have to, like you said, you could look at blogs, you could look at podcasts, you can read books, watch videos, do what you need. But all of that you have to learn yourself. And unfortunately, most of it is trial and error. Most of it is you just try to make money, you try not to get in trouble, and then something bad happens, and then you wonder why, yeah. and then learn a very painful lesson, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there is some space, too, though, for us to consider how we think about informing the entire next generation, right? If you have Gen Z kids, or if you're Gen Z listening, like, they are doing things so completely different than what we experienced, at least when I was young, like, no one even thought about working for themselves. Everyone was focused on going to college and having a career. And so these kids are like, we don't want to participate in anything that you all are doing. And we're massively missing the mark by not supporting them with real education that will impact how they're going to live. They're not gonna go work at a factory. They're not gonna go work at the shoe shine guy. They're gonna go and start some like YouTube channel and make a bazillion dollars or whatever it is they're gonna do, like teaching people how to tie their shoes uniquely. Who knows? And yeah. it's gonna be great. And that's what these kids do, and they're finding their whole lives in that space. And if we don't support them, we miss massive opportunity. I think shifting the I way think we think about right. things.
1: Yeah, and that we've we've seen that in the polls, and now that they're voting, we've seen that uh, their their desire to just not participate in these standard structures is extremely strong. Is. And who can blame them? Because they're smart enough to understand exactly. how it works. They're smart enough to understand, <laughs> understand how they're being exploited, and then they don't want to be <laughs> exploited. And we're surprised—hardly a shock, right? Exactly um, right. So. Y- you go to school, you get your degree, you yeah. go you study tax. Um, then you yeah. became a CPA or you started yeah. doing that, you became an independent professional.
0: Not, a, not right away. So okay. uh, yeah, undergrad in accounting, master's in tax. And while I was doing all of that, I was working in corporate simultaneously. So I got licensed. I stayed in corporate. So the difference, for those of you who don't spend your time knowing the wonders of tax, uh, corporate tax is basically you work in-house for a large corporation that houses their own tax functions. Most businesses outsource it to firms that do it for them. Large corporations do it in-house. And so I was a part of those sort of in-house tax teams for companies at about, four or five large companies that exist uh, currently. And when you do that, you follow the life cycle of the business from inception, from idea all the way to like, you know, completion. And they'll come to you with a new line of business. We're going to start selling T-shirts out of these five states. What do we need to do? And then your sole job is to figure out all the tax compliance requirements, everything that they have to, all licensing, any sort of permits that need to be purchased. All of that is your job. So you go into sort of tax research mode. And then you return back to them completed created accounts, they're fully compliant. You're telling the retail division so they can put the POS systems in place, and then you go and file and you participate in audits. This is happening all the time at every large corporation. When I stepped away from that, the last three ish years of that 15, I was running my own side practice and I was just thinking, like, I know I did this for like Technicolor or like Airmark or whatever, but like Who's doing this for small businesses? And then you're like, oh, yeah, no one. No, 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 no one's doing this. And the cost, right, like you'd be shocked how many incentives corporations get to take advantage of because they just have the, the knowledge and they have the staff to help them sort of partake in like all of the incentives, all of the tax cuts that you just small businesses don't know about because they don't have that same support. And I was like, how can I productize and then make that available to like every small business I can find, which has been basically our mission
1: That's so cool. And it speaks to this idea. I mean, you might have heard it's been said that the most important thing a small business owner can do, they need an accountant, they need a lawyer. There's just a few critical people that you need from day one. And when people are strapped for cash, obviously the idea of spending money on an accountant is the last thing you want to do, especially because an accountant can be relatively expensive per hour and you have to meet with them. So I was one of those people. I was hesitant to hire an accountant. I thought, oh, I'll do it myself, making every mistake in the book in the first few years of being a business owner. But of course when you hire a good accountant that person pays for themselves so many times over my accountant has saved me so many multiples of what i have paid him over the years it's just stupid every cent invested seems to be and like that speaks to the superpower part of what you were saying like every cent you invest in this and he'll tell me things like oh this year this thing changed and now you can do yeah. this and oh you might not have known but if we do this over here you can get that you know like yeah. okay i would have never found that out but i'm glad you know about all this stuff
0: <laughs> yeah that superpower is certainly real and i tell people all the time like While if you can afford to get an accountant, please get one and make Mm. sure that person is certified and they know their crap, otherwise it's a waste. Don't do it, don't Mm. get bookkeepers. Don't, you know, those people are just task doers. Like the people you really need are the people who are knowledge value add, like what you're saying. They can tell you information that you didn't already know that changes the way you function and saves you a significant amount of money. Don't do it if you're just hiring someone to like fiddle with your QuickBooks. It isn't worth it, you can do all of that (laughs) yourself. Do, do what is impactful yeah. that will save you money and tremendous yeah. time, not, not not the lower hanging fruit. And so Compliant, I love, I love us because we can sit next to the accountant. And then also we can sit in the gap in that first few years of like, I don't have an accountant. What should I do? And then we live really, really beautifully right there.
1: Nice. Well, yeah. your journey, you left the corporate world. You were yep. doing a side thing and then that became a main yeah. thing. What I'm very interested in is the progression of entrepreneurship, how, you know, you start with one idea. First, you leave the corporate job, then you go do this thing, and then you realize there's a gap, and then you go into something else. I love that journey as we learn more about what we want to do. So let's start with what made you decide to leave the corporate job?
0: (laughs) I participated in a tax audit With the state of glorious Texas. It was a sales tax audit. And the company I was working for, um, the initial audit assessment, which is just basically the bill they send you up front, was like eight or nine million. And so your job in audit is to defend why you think that number is wrong. And so you poke holes in all of their logic and you tell them this is all the mistakes you made. Here's what we actually did right. We don't owe this. That's what audit is. And Hmm. I participated in it. I ran it. I took that eight million down to like, 300,000, I didn't get anything. I just got like a, good job. And I was like, where's my money? I should have got a piece of this. I want a bonus, a sandwich, I don't know, something. I was so disappointed. And immediately I was like, oh no, no. A, I'm good at this. And B, I can do this myself. that was enough of the verification for me and i literally just two weeks later i put my notice in. i was like no thank you but i think i'm done and i told myself that i'm gonna give myself six months. i had six months of savings enough to pay my bills not even a lot of money i was like i can keep the lights on for six months and if i don't get enough business to supplement my income i'll just find another job i'll go back mm. didn't even take six months it took one month and i didn't just make the money i ended up tripling it and so i was like oh, okay, what am I gonna do now? I can go buy lots of cheese sandwiches or I can figure out how to grow this or I could do something else. And the way I think my brain just, I think naturally I'm like always thinking about ways to like innovate or, or process change. I love process and I'm always thinking about process change and which got me sparking the idea of like, I'm getting all these clients coming to me with these crazy issues. If I could get them much earlier and help them so that they don't get to this point, Like, I can't help everyone. How do I help the masses? Tech. Okay, let's productize this so we can get to a lot of people, get them day one, then help them sort of along the path until they can get to a really qualified accountant. And so that, it was almost immediate. I don't even think I worked at my practice for more than like a couple of months. And then I saw the problem and I was like, "Mm, done. And so simultaneously, I did both. I ran the practice and I built compliant on my own for like four months. And then... I was off to the races. I held on to compliant long enough. I mean I held on to my practice long enough until compliant I got my first bit of fundraise. Then when I did my fundraise, that was enough then I was like, Okay, I can mm. let go of my client. So I sold my book of business and started running the company.
1: So was was that process software development or what were you actually building on your own during that time?
0: Yeah, so I, again, am the kind of person that thinks that she can do everything. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to code. I totally did. I can tear up a command line, but that's all I can do. Like, don't ask me to do, no. don't ask me about colors, shapes, no front end. I can't give you any of that. All I can do is command line. And I said immediately, I'm not moving fast enough. And from what I know about tech, it speed is your ally. And I wasn't going to be able to grassroots, like, build this. So I was going to have to like either hire someone or get a co-founder. And so my entire life I've been in accounting at this point. And I'm like, I don't know anyone in tech. I'm not going to get a co-founder that I think I could trust. It's like a marriage. So I was like, I'll just like hire someone yeah, and someone will build this. And then like two fail hires later, someone qualified came in and helped get it at least to like moving function version. So.
1: That, that's such a good point because you often hear that you should have a co-founder. That's the common story. However, I've read several books from maybe even more successful people, some billionaires, who say don't ever do that. Always be a solo founder because it is like a marriage and it is like it can be like a bad marriage. And if you have a 50-50 partnership, they often end in a stalemate or something goes sour yeah. or – they don't have the same values or work ethic that you have, which yeah. is just so easy to understand if you've met people yeah. ever oh in your life. Uh, yes. So how do you feel as a solo found? Again, we're breaking all the rules here. Uh, solo founder in tech. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Perpetual rule breaker. Um, I, it's the hardest job I've ever had second to raise the kids. Um, I absolutely every day I'm like, I'm so tired. But I also absolutely love it. And I don't think I would have done it any differently. Because the kind of person that I would have needed to support me as a true co-founder would have been someone that mirrored my similar style or skill set. And I don't. I'm I'm a rare bird. <laughs> Not many people want to do. Uh, my, my work ethic is a match. Not that people don't want to work this hard. I tell people all the time, no one wants to work this hard. As my saying. Um, so I just was like, ah, eh, it, it wasn't worth it to me um, to sacrifice. I had the idea. I had like done all the pre-work. I set everything up. The only thing I didn't have was coding. I mean, like I was like, I can do this. and then you know, if I can't, we'll fall a bit and see if we can't get somebody to help us up. <laughs> we'll figure it out. And it, it never it never needed to happen. I had one one investor say that we only invest in companies that have co-founders. It has never been a problem since, and that investor actually came back to me, was like, biggest mistake we ever made, we're so oh, sorry fine. we didn't invest in sorry. you. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's hard, yeah. but I don't regret it. I, I like that, you know, I kinda make the decisions, and I don't think, I think I would have felt a disservice having someone that I consider a partner, not carrying partner weight. That would have upset mm-hmm.
1: me. <laughs> oh, for sure, I have no doubt. <laughs> So knowing that you needed funding, how did you go about that process? What what were the first steps you took to get that?
0: Funny story. I actually was going to bootstrap. I read every bootstrapping book, listened to all the bootstrapping podcasts. I wasn't going to raise money because I was like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't need to actually be like sort of catapulting tech. I can be like, I can meander a bit and then we'll sell it and it will be fine. That'll be our retirement strategy. But what ended up happening was I participated in this incubator run out of L.A. called Grid 110. And um, the founder of the incubator, Mickey Reynolds, she's like, you know, you're like incredible, right? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just out here ticker tacering with tax numbers I don't know and then one of the other partners that ran the program was a investor and he's like we actually want to invest in you so if you want to raise money we want to give you some money and I was like oh now I have to figure out if this is a new, my new strategy so then I had to go like read more books about taking money uh note to audience read books um yeah yeah and Shut then up. after re- <laughs> <We're gonna laughs> reading read books, books. <laughs> yeah. try <it>. exactly right <laughs> Try right yeah it's great try it now um, and so after doing that and just having a few conversations with investors and they were like, actually, you do have a venture backable business and you can do this and you would do very well. But you just have to decide if you want to. And so reading those books just kind of helped me figure out if I'm going to do this. That just means that I'm going from like meandering along and then eventually we will sell to like rocket ship straight up into the right mm. and then much faster. So once mm. I like settled with that idea. I was like, all right, let's do it. And so the gentleman that I mentioned that was a part of the Grid 110 program, it was his first fund. And so we became their first investment. He then went and opened up his network to me and said, here, meet this person. She's pretty dope. Give her some money. And so I was able to galvanize a little bit of a round relatively quickly thanks to them.
1: That's crazy. And at the time of me doing my research, I think you you had raised something like 5.5 million. Has that number changed? Is that roughly accurate? Yeah, that
0: number has changed. You're going to get exclusive information. We're not going to announce this anywhere, but I will just (laughs) say it here. (laughs) Since we've raised about 13 million. Wow. So the demand
1: has just gone up.
0: Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about a recession. And the only way that it is beautiful is the uniqueness that comes from it, the ingenuity that comes from it, creates opportunity for us. Everybody is starting something. Everyone needs more money. Everyone is in this like crazy hell of a time and they don't want to keep working for the nine to five. And they're like, how do I make money? And I'm like, I don't know, but once you figure it out, come over here. (laughs) So (laughs) It's been working really well for us.
1: That's so cool. Wow. It's just that you've done the exact yeah. opposite. And that's what so many people are so afraid. I mean, now we're headed into another yeah. downturn. Twitter lay- yeah. all this drama, Facebook laying off yeah. thousands and thousands of employees, all of tech, all of that stuff, and you've just yeah. done the opposite. But of course, that is what the point of the show is all about. It's about beating the often path, doing the road yeah. less traveled, because again, if everybody else is in a downturn, you cannot be in a personal downturn. But to yeah. get there, you can't do what everybody else is doing. Would you agree yeah. with that?
0: A hundred percent. You also can't listen to people. Listen to yeah. people, but don't listen to people. That's literally right. my advice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Certainly in the space that if you don't trust yourself enough to know that even if everyone says I shouldn't do it, there's something in me that believes it, and that's enough for me. right? Like, yeah. And that's always been enough for me. Everyone, my whole life was like, why would you quit your job? That's stupid. You make so much money. I don't and I can make it again. I'll just like, let me do this. And then also knowing that you can always just try and the trying is not the end. It's just the trying. And if it fails, fine, you learn something. Just try. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you probably, it it might not have seemed like an advantage at the time, but, If you have raised several children (laughs) as a teenager, there's probably not much in life that could possibly be harder than that. (sighs) So entrepreneurship, like you said, it's the second most difficult thing. For a lot of people, it might be the most difficult thing. But you're like, hey, (laughs) there's there's a limit to this. (laughs)
0: Let me There's tell a you, I tell everyone, here. there is, I tell everyone all the time, trust me, after surviving, being a teen parent, there right. is nothing I cannot do, nothing, what do you want me to do, move mountains, watch me, <laughs> like, I can do it all.
1: all, <laughs> right, as long as I get three hours of sleep, that's
0: I can do anything, let me clean anything, just, like, glass just three, water. okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I need.
1: <laughs> oh man, so much respect for that. So, thank you. You have. Um, how did your life change when the funding came in? What what practically Ooh. happened in your life?
0: Practically nothing in my personal life. Uh, okay. I think the let me just level set for all the founders listening. Raising money doesn't mean you get money; it means your company gets money, and that's about it. Right. Uh, what actually changed was the time I was spending working on compliant. I got to hire people, which meant that I could stop like doing all this crap I was doing all the time. I was working literally probably. 16 hours a day, maybe even 17. So that went from, I went from working 17 hours to working more like eight or nine, like a normal human. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I could hire people. So that was immediately great. But what isn't talked about a lot is like, once you take an investment, your net worth changes because the value of your equity changes. And so how you think about wealth now has to change. And so there Mm -hmm. were lots of conversations at that point with like, do we bring in a financial advisor and then me and my own, like I have an accounting background, which is not the same as financial advising and wealth growth. It's it's the management of money, but it is not the growth of money. So I then had to like restructure how do I think about building wealth and continuing this legacy for my children and their children and beyond. And so that's how I started to think just more practically within myself, like how do I do this? And then after that I got to dream a lot. That's what funding does. It gives you a license to dream and do every single one of those things that you are dreaming about and the whole so cool which is nice
1: yeah that's that's really nice and you said of course you don't get money yourself but not does yet. it feel nice the ability to make something bigger more impactful yeah. something nicer in terms of a product it's it's like making art but at a larger yeah. scale right yeah so you may not that's be making exactly the money right. directly today but you're putting out something that is just a lot cooler into the world what you're able to create becomes exponentially larger
0: oh my god it's incredible the first customer that says like i am changed because you did this thing or you've helped me so much or like i didn't know what i was doing and i was really lost and like i'm so thankful you're doing this it just you're like yes yes this is the win this is why we're doing this that's the north star every you know, webinar I do where every blog we've written and someone's like, thanks, this was really helpful. Like, it's just that it's a little notch in that like, okay, we're on the right path. And it's super exciting just to know that like, I can contribute to the world something that has been my expertise that I can now give to someone else and make their life easier. And as cheap as possible, like things don't have to be $47 million all the time. Some things can be cheaper. I mean, we can do free and it still be valuable sometimes, I think so. Yeah,
1: that's that's absolutely true. And it's that old saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care, whatever, (laughs) butchering it. Uh, But (laughs) one of the things that I got from your bio is that there were situations where people when you were doing the CPA thing, when you were interfacing with clients in a more direct basis, you would say, "Okay, I can fix this for you, but it's going to cost you more money than you can afford. It's going to cost you a lot because I've got a bill hourly or however the price structure is. So a lot of people, that's a a scenario that we can all relate to. So what are some of these preventative, what are some of the most common mistakes that a business, what categories of things do people make over and over again that you see?
0: (laughs) A lot of them. Uh, There are a few. The most common, I think, um, surprisingly, actually people are very timid about taking deductions. So some people are like, oh, can I really write this off or no? And they just kind of don't really understand what, is available to them and there are you know only a few categories and they're pretty broad right it's the products you use to like make your business grow it's you know the things you're doing while you're trying to make your business grow and it's the services you need to help make your businesses grow it's pretty simple but people are very timid about doing it and so they don't they'll just like well here's the rent i paid and so you did nothing else with your business over the last year uh so being nervous to take those deductions again they're there for you and as long as you have like. You know some justification for it. It's there for you to take, so you're 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 costing yourself money. Uh, don't do that. Another one is like not understanding that there is more than one type of tax. People think just like how, to your point earlier, like income tax or turbo tax is the only thing I need to worry about. There are actually ten types of business tax, and every nice. single one of those things are very expensive if you don't you know comply within range. And so not understanding that, I think has been the Biggest thing. People think that everything is fraud. And so like, oh, I just thought I was fraud. So I threw it away. It's a tax notice. It's not fraud. You need to pay it. And so just not knowing that there are lots of tax types that you need to comply with. The other one that's super common, people don't close their businesses down. So let's say like you operate for a year. It's trash. It doesn't go well. You're like, I'm done with this. No more hair weaving company. Let's let it go. They just walk away and they don't do anything. And you actually need to tell the state you're done. You need to tell the government, federal government you're done. You need to tell the city that you're done. Because if you don't tell them, they assume that it's still open and they keep sending you notices and they want you to keep paying. And if you don't pay, now you're in trouble. And I've seen people go eight, nine, 10 years. I haven't operated that business in 10 years. And they have 10 years of back tax to pay.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: So that And in know, some states, so. it's
1: obviously worse than others. Like in California, mm-hmm. you have to pay $800 a year just to have an no LLC. Tax, that says yeah. nothing of anything else. None of the other fees yeah. or taxes just, just to exist. Yep. And in other states, they're like, eh, come on, open 15 businesses. Who cares? We'll give you money. We'll give you <laughs> 30 <Exactly. laughs> Here in California, they're like,
0: are you sure? Right. You really want I'm to do sure. this? <laughs> exactly right. for you. <laughs> and they keep coming. That's what's trippy. That minimum yeah. tax you just mentioned, people think that like, oh, well, I didn't do business, so I don't have to pay. It doesn't matter. You stayed open. Mm-hmm. You have to continue mm-hmm. paying until you tell them that you're closed.
1: <laughs> well... Th- one of the th- you bring up a good point about having an expert on your team and having some because people yeah. feel scared they're generally yeah. afraid of this monolith that they think of as the IRS or in, in any country yeah. people are afraid of the tax office in every country i think oh, yeah. so people are generally scared of this but your corporate success story that led to your exit sheds light on an yeah. important thing that i think also people don't know and certainly i didn't know in advance which is that there is a conversation that is possible with these tax authorities. Like you said, here's a bill for $9 million. People say, oh, my God, i got to pay that. Well, do you? I don't know because maybe we can get it down. And you may get a scary notice, but if you have an expert, if you have uh, expertise on your side, you may be able to use that as a jumping off point and to reduce it or to come back. It's not a game over type thing. No. I don't think a lot of people know that.
0: That's another huge mistake. You're absolutely right. People will say like, well, I got this bill. I have to figure out how to pay it. No tax bill is written in stone. I don't care. No tax bill is written in stone. Everything can be negotiated. And a lot of times you can just do it yourself. Sometimes the naivete of ignorance is works in your favor. You can call the city and say, actually, I didn't know this that I even needed to do this, and I don't need, you know, like, can is there a way we can negotiate this? Can can I get a fee waiver? Can I get an interest waived? Like, what are my options so that I can actually take care of it? I want to take care of it. Every government authority I've ever dealt with, they love the person that just wants to fix it. Even if all they can give is two cents a month, they will take that two cents a month because you're trying to be forthright. It's the people that are hiding and like, don't look over here in the glaring light it's horrible just tell them i don't i think this is a mess and i don't know what i'm doing but i'm going to start by calling you and saying what steps should i take and they'll give you some resources oftentimes there are a lot of resources that the cities and states offer because they want people to play the they want you to be compliant they want you to continue business in their city they don't want you to leave, and they don't want you to stop doing business so if this helps you because you're you're you You doing business helps the economy. So if this helps you, they want to help you. So they'll do penalty abatement. Sometimes they'll waive the tax altogether, you know, if your sob story is good enough. There's lots of things you can do uh, that you don't have to just accept whatever the bill is and just, like, panic. A lot of times the instructions, too, will be on the form, and it'll say, to appeal, you know, take these steps. Always appeal. Always
1: appeal. (laughs) Nice. We got, like, 30 nuggets of gold in there already. (laughs) I think a lot of people go, okay, note to self, always appeal, and eat, read some books. Read okay, books. got it. Yes. <laughs> we got two great things in this episode. Um, value add. Yeah, definitely a value add for sure. <laughs> uh, why do you think it is that they're so – why do they promote small business? What's, why do they want to support small businesses?
0: Um, I can tell you in Los Angeles, I think every, every uh, city is different, probably viewpoints, but I can tell you specifically in Los Angeles or larger city, the beauty about small business is it physically keeps money here. So if you think about like you're a side hustler, you're selling shirts, you know, wherever you're selling shirts, you're bringing that money into your home. And with that money, you can now afford to pay your rent. You maybe even can afford to buy a mortgage. If you buy a mortgage, you now can pay property tax. OK, well, maybe you can even get an office now that your business is big enough and you get that office in the city, you now can pay commercial tax or whoever owns that building can pay their commercial tax because they're leasing it. And all these vacant buildings aren't left vacant. And so there's all this like cyclical effect that happens beyond just sales tax revenue that do affect Cities, counties, states, they want you to stay where you are in their city and operate that business because it brings more money into the city. The money that affects people the most isn't the money at the federal level. It takes a while for that money to trickle down. The money that moves is the money that's sitting next to you. It's the city money. That's why there are so many, like when COVID hit, there were grants up the wazoo. And they couldn't give those grants out to a lot of the businesses because those businesses weren't licensed within the city because licensure was the requirement. You had to be a legitimate business in order to take part in some of this money. But they wanted it to move. They wanted to give you money so you could stay in business, right. so you could pay your people, so you could continue to – so it's all cyclical. You just have to show up and participate in the regulation side of things that that people don't love so much.
1: It's like, yeah, all that money is there. All of it's there if you just understand how to play within that system. And people, again, they just don't know. And yeah. people are thinking uh, so much. And, and I've been guilty of this for sure. You say like, oh, I, was that really a business trip? I took that Uber. You know, should I deduct that $30 or not? I don't know. I'm a little scared. Was that pencil solely used for business use? or I did write that thank you card, so better not chance it. And yet you've got these people who are like, I'm a billionaire and my, my wife opened a business. She sold one handbag on Etsy and she claimed $2 million in the PPP loan and she got it. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious, but that's exactly right and a great point.
1: <laughs> so not everybody is as scrupulous with, the, not everybody is thinking about it as hard as some others. I think. Good
0: point. Um, good
1: point. And I do think because we're afraid and because we don't know, it's easy yeah. to just be scared and yeah. never. Certainly, in my experience, like I said, with I'm very lucky that I have a good accountant, but knowledge is power has never felt more true because you just don't know how to interface with these things you just don't mm-hmm. know the language you don't know how you're supposed to talk to these people
0: yeah i do think that the tax anxiety we, t- we literally teach entire webinars around tax anxiety and financial anxiety I think that that, um, aside from just sort of the lack of information, is it's almost in, like inbred in our culture, like our American culture, is fear yep. around money. Because we're yep. such a like a financial behemoth, and we participate in this competitive environment around money all the time. It's always happening. It was a nicer, scar, nicer car, nicer watch, nicer shoes. And right. as we participate in that, it creates this fear around, I don't have enough. And because I don't have enough, I can't participate in this regulatory process because I don't have enough. But that isn't true, right? To participate is almost free. Most times it's free or very low cost. But because we don't have enough and we're always operating at a deficit, we're like pulling through this sort of cycle, perpetuating the fear even more. And if we can, I think, break up with the fear around our finances, we don't talk about money in public spaces. We're very hush hush. Families oftentimes don't talk about money. Cultures oftentimes don't talk about money. So if we can open up the conversation around what's happening with the money and how it's moving, like, hey, I don't make enough. What are my options? How can I do more? And create that conversation more and more there. Now you have groupthink. Well, here's all the mistakes I made. And then, okay, well, you may want to do this. Here's some things I tried. And now you've got more than just, I'm living good, but I'm struggling. How do we fix? And in that space, we can break up with some of that tax fear and financial anxiety. The terrible circle.
1: It's, it's, it, it is. And it, I remembered my point. So it's, it's the structures that we have to set up. And when you have an account, you know, first of all, setting up a business, setting up an LLC, setting up an S Corp, there are different structures that are available to you to run your business. And so much of it is just setting all of that up in the right way so that all of these systems can work for you. And a lot of that seems very foreign to an individual say, oh, I can have a corporation and I can be an employee of my corporation. I can be on a payroll of my corporation. And that just sounds like voodoo to most (laughs) of the people in the world. It sounds like that's got to be a scam of some kind. But the reality is that's just how it works. That's just what the system is. And that when you do that, you're like, oh, okay, I understand how I can structure it so that the payroll, my personal things go over here, business expenses go over there. And you can balance that together in a way and fine tune that in a way that is different than people think, I think, when they're just starting out.
0: Yeah. And I've seen a lot of that information circle on the interwebs these lately's Uh, Instagram. I call them my Instagram like accountants where they love to give you like set up an LLC in your child's name and then like, you know, get this thing in your dog's name. And like there's all these like weird structures people are trying to do in some version of what you're saying. Um, And and in some of that noise, there's a ton of accuracy. And I think some people are starting to get hip to like, I don't 100% know what that structure is, but I know there's something I could do that's different than what I'm doing, which that's where we get to a space where knowledge becomes more free because then people are starting to like, I don't know really what it is, but... Somebody over there is doing something. Somebody got like some insurance thing, and then they went and got a LLC, and then they went and got a FEIN, and then they got this. Some of that is not all true. Some of that you're not going to be able to buy a car on your that FEIN the first yeah. second. But some of that might be a scam, but there is some truth in that. The way you should be thinking about your personal money versus your business money and separating that out. There's something mm-hmm. there that we can toy with more that can benefit us more that we can keep more money in our pockets. And to to your point, I think the more information we can share the more that opens
1: up yeah and it's it's just all about the kind of deal that you strike especially now with this work reform time where you know like you said talk about gen z but just everybody feels like okay i know that being an employee is kind of a scam i know that something about this feels wrong but i don't exactly know what it is and uh understanding some of those structures because like for example (laughs) there's a remote work thing that's happening right now and people are having multiple jobs And employers are saying that's tantamount to stealing because you signed an employment agreement over here that says you will not work for anybody else. And you secretly took a second job or a third job. And then we're finding about it and you're immediately fired. And people are saying, oh, that's unethical or there's something wrong with that. And my initial thought when when hearing all that is, well, it's not unethical. It's just you just signed a bad deal. The agreement that you signed was bad if you signed your name on a document that says i will not work for somebody (laughs) else well your mistake was signing that document (laughs) whereas if you had structured (laughs) things in a different way it wouldn't be immoral or unethical it's just about what kind of deal did you negotiate and in order to get a better deal you have to set up these structures that a lot of people haven't looked into and set up
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. We're a fully remote environment too. We have 30 employees and I know for a fact some of my employees have other jobs and I I want them to like your participation in the economy affects us. It helps us. If you have a side small business, great. What have you learned? Come share so we can build more profit. (laughs) Like I don't want you to not have a small actually all of you should have small businesses. I think the opposite. I also think you can't prevent people from doing the things they need to do to be able to feed their families. And if their salary isn't enough in this economy. I was at, a, at an event in New York a while back and one of the panel speakers was like making a point that people who make over six figures literally are like so 42% of people make That are making over six figures a living month, like paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck It's not enough money. Whether that's because of poor money management or it's because of the inflation or some variation of the two. But the point is, it's not enough. And to tell someone, like, what I give you should be enough, so don't go looking, unless you're giving them... 20 million dollars a year you have no idea yeah. right people have kids to put in college people want to buy homes maybe you know I don't know if you live in LA right. you're never going to own a home you live in a shack I, you know people have other dreams see like yes. you know <laughs> yeah in the back working house on you know <laughs> <Right? on> it <laughs> but it, how, how do we get to participate right in the American dream yeah. if we aren't given the opportunity to grow that and so I think people that a little bit too is that old corporate culture that they're just not CEOs are not ready they let go of they don't want to go fully remote they don't want employees working multiple jobs they just want them to hyper like if they do that they're not going to push us as far as they possibly can i mean maybe but maybe you restructure maybe you stop forcing people to work eight hours a day maybe you go to six maybe you maybe change the metrics focus on
1: output instead of on maybe you focus the on number of hours your butt is in a chair which doesn't matter exactly. anyway. that's the old it school does. thing <laughs>
0: Doesn't matter. And then decided that my employee as a full, whole, well-rounded person that gets to pursue their art in their off time, that gets to, you know, go coach soccer and make some side money or whatever in their off time, or gets to do these things that they love doing and then come to work and feel valued, might keep them there longer.
1: Right. It's oh, like... what, a, what a magical thought that is. <laughs> a, 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 clearly you are a communist. <laughs> clearly... You just made some lists, Shiloh. You are uh, no—that
0: is wrong. How dare
1: you? How dare you? Life outside of work. Come on, never. You must suffer every single every day, day of your life, Bleed or you are a bad employee. I don't care how much school debt you have. I don't care how much your expenses are. I don't care whether you plan on, I don't know, sending your right. kids to college, for college. example. Right. Who knows Man. what you need, but all I know is that you need to suffer you to be a good be employee. You must be suffer. You must be for in sure. physical pain or you're not doing a good job. <laughs> and Gen Z is waking up and they're saying, is that do-
0: really... Do we really, really have to do that? Do we have to do? This? Are, did, we are we sure to. about that? Because I'm pretty sure I can sell I,
1: t-shirts on Shopify and, and make more money. Make more money
0: <laughs> and actually live the life I want. I certainly right. think if we don't, we are going to come to a very quick re- reckoning of employees that you won't need to fire because they will voluntarily leave. I think we're creeping up on it. I mean. It just, we can't continue operating the way we once were and assume that we can continue to draft qualified talent. That talent is not yep. going to want to participate.
1: Yep. And, you know, Steve Jobs had that quote that A players only want to play with A players. They don't want to play with C players. Yeah. Well, that's true of management yeah. as well. A players don't want to work for C bosses or C CEO. Exactly right. Exactly it's not right. just co-workers. It's the whole system. And a little bit of appreciation goes a very long way and a little bit of understanding goes a very long way. And I'm completely with you. I'm at a point now where I have uh, some employees and the stuff that we're able to do is, is, is far greater because of that. But I absolutely don't care. So I say, Oh, I need to take tomorrow off. Okay.
0: Bye. Fine. <laughs> you know,
1: I don't care. I'm not even going to keep track you know? or like, I'm not yeah. going to show up until morning. Like, okay. Like I don't, <laughs> as long as the stuff gets done, Yep. I have no concerns right. whatsoever, as long as whatever gets done, gets done. And and that if you're any kind of decent business owner, it's very obvious whether stuff is getting done or not. That's it. Exactly. Right. If somebody says, exactly. like, I'm going to do this and then a week passes and then they don't. Well, that's pretty clear. It's yeah. not about how many hours they sat in a chair. It's just did you do that yeah. thing that you were supposed to do? And yeah. that's that is the way that I have always operated. It just yeah, doesn't make I sense to me somebody's like oh i have a family emergency well go get out of here <laughs> go you know do do your thing because yeah, that makes you happy and that's important exactly or you need and to yeah yeah so the last thing i want to touch on before we sort of wrap up around, i know you've got a flight to catch but um i was when uh When the person who introduced us introduced you, she raised up a statistic that I did not know, but I'm uh, sadly not too shocked about. But apparently only 200 black women founders have ever raised a million in venture capital. What has been your experience? I mean, at the very beginning, we talked about you said, oh, I'm in a new, uh, because you went to tax, based on a mentor's advice, and that proved to be true. What has been your experience in that world? Have you found it to be harsh? Have you found it to be accepting? And what what is the reason for such a horrible statistic as that?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's probably less than 200. I think there's about 150 50. of us. I know them all. We're in a group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty small. <laughs> 150. Oh, my. Yeah, it's pretty small. <laughs> so what's going and, um, on? Uh, I think a few things. Like, tech is relatively very new. And the the modeling that was set in place that ultimately produced what was success before looked a very specific way. So as we evolve, right, like more, you know, women are getting into business at a point when women were not in business before, you know, more minorities are getting into business. You know, in fact, black women are starting businesses at a faster rate than any other subgroup. So as we evolve, we miss some of those cues and opportunities for growth such that we keep trying to model what used to work, right, like Steve Mm -hmm. Jobs and... Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, they all look a certain way and they mirror a certain idea. And so when you don't look that way, they're like, oh, you can't be that successful because you don't have that. I dropped out of Harvard after the first year and then I made something in my mom's garage and I did this modeling. But what you get to do in that space is you get to like challenge beliefs, but also showing up as just as talented and successful as kind of, sometimes even more as your counterparts. And so I think it's, the, the struggle has been, was very much early because people that know me, I, I don't come from so they were like, who are you and what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but as there were more people validating my skill set, validating what we've been building, validating what's happening, as that started to grow, then the belief sort of started to happen after that. That's the difference I think. I almost don't even think, in pop controversial opinion. I almost don't think it's racial in the sense that it's like you're a minority I don't want you. It's that I don't know what to do. So mm. until you show me something else, I don't know what to do with you versus this person, I know what to do with because this is what I'm familiar with. And so there takes a bit of like requalification from other parts that are saying, "Hey, that person is actually pretty dope and what they're building is pretty dope, and so you should mm. actually go do something with them." Um so in the terms of like raising money that hasn't been as difficult, what has been difficult has been like the belief in my ability to actually run the company successfully. Um, because again, CEOs don't look like me. <laughs> CEOs look very specific. and so your ability to make tough decisions, your ability to you know move fast, your ability to you know grow and up and to the right and all the things that they say, like all of that gets challenged because you don't look like the model of what they think that success should. So you get really cool opportunities to kind of show up and show out and say just because you believe that, I'm going to show you different and you're going to be so surprised and then I'm going to be so great and then I'm not going to take your calls. And so you kind of have to just muscle through it and decide that like, I'm going to be one of those people that changes that number so that 20 years from now, that statistic is a far gone thing of the past. And you sort of muscle through. And there are still people with their biases and there's not much I can do with that. But it can't stand in the way of me building. It can't stand in the way of the mission, which is I've got to get in kick the door open so i can let a million more of me in behind me so that's sort of the path i i set my sights on such that i don't get too bogged down with the statistics like oh they're probably not going to invest in me no you will and if you don't you're going to regret it you choose
1: i love that attitude And you're doing it on both fronts because you yourself are a great example. I mean, as, as an individual, you're a fantastic Thank example you. for others. Thank and you. that's my interest in, in talking with you, which has Thank been you. more than worth it this last hour. But you're also doing it in a very direct way with the yeah. literal business that you're starting because yeah. the chief objective of the business that you're starting is to help other founders yeah. to get there quicker. Right. Yeah. To make them make sense of their own journey so that they'll be ready if they need to, to get capital. And you know how to structure that and you can advise them Mm -hmm. on how to structure that and what kind of things they need to have in place to do that. So it's a doubly cool thing. And I hope that you're right in the next 10 years. I hope that (laughs) I hope that that statistic is very quickly made irrelevant. I hope that you're not able to keep track of that Facebook group in a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs)
0: For sure, me too. It's not just like a Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> group,
1: you know. Like, That's exactly uh,
0: right.
1: Let's turn it into a stadium, okay?
0: Let's get a stadium you
1: You're like, maybe we it's need really some moderators on this, so you know?
0: Right. I feel you.
1: Versus do you guys want to have a picnic real quick? <laughs> That's gotta go. Um well, again, yeah, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your time and uh, sure. and, and some laughs. It's, laugh. it's been an absolute pleasure. I know you got to go, but is there any parting piece of wisdom or just one thing you'd like to say to wrap up this show?
0: Yeah. Uh, I just, I got to say, don't quit. It is impossibly easy to just stop. And you're tired and you hate it and you're broke and you can't see the light, but I promise you it's there. Just keep going. Even when it sucks even when you don't see any like results and you haven't sold anything or you don't know, you hit a roadblock, just keep going. When you hit the roadblock, get creative. Don't quit.
1: I can think of no better way to end it than that. So we'll, we'll stop it right there. Uh, thank you so much, Isla. It's been an absolute pleasure. Safe travels. And thank with you. that, the official podcast is over.